I'm Q, this is Bird Road. Our guest today is trying to flip one of Florida's deepest red congressional districts into the blue category, and he's doing it as an unapologetic progressive with a message that includes healthcare for all, guaranteed childcare, public internet, Green New Deal, and fully funded public schools. It's not too late to give some support at ForTheManyNotJustMe.com. And if you're in con Congressional District 3, he deserves your vote, so make sure you get out in between now and then. Again, about 10 more days until Election Day, and uh, you know, with early voting, you can get out and show your support. So let's get to know why Adam Christensen deserves our support. Adam Christensen, welcome to Bird Road. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Early morning, yeah. at least for... For for some of us in the podcasting game, it's not it's 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 not ideal hours, but um, you know we try to get in where we can fit in. So we're going to get into your opponent a little bit later, uh, and some are for more colorful interpretations. I, I I had to have you on when I read and watched the wonderful investigative journalism that you did, uh, some of the oppo research that you that you did on on your opponent. But but honestly, before before we do that, I, I kind of want people to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so I want to start off by asking you the same thing that we asked to all of our guests who are campaigning. Why are you running for office? I've, I've, you know, this is probably, that's probably the number one question I'm always asked is like, well, why are you doing it? Like, are you crazy? And I think you kind of probably have to be a little bit nuts to, to want to run for Congress uh, or for really any public office. And so, yeah, maybe I am a little bit crazy. But really the reason that I got into this was because I didn't really feel like I had any other choice. I saw basically that Ted Yoho was going to retire and I knew just by who was running and you know what they had done in the past that there was no chance that this place would ever flip but I knew that if somebody ran and actually you know was authentic and believed what they were saying and you know would actually be able to change things that people would be able to rally behind them and so I ran because I didn't really feel like I had any other choice and the people that joined our campaign, it was the same way. It's things are not going to get better. Like we don't have saviors. Nobody's coming to make things better for us. And so we have to do it ourselves. And so that was really the reason that we got off the sidelines was we understood that number one, it was an opportunity, but number two, if it was done right, it would be game changing. And so we did, and we started with one person and then we grew to four and then 10 and 15. And eventually we were at 50 and every single person was under the age of 23. And it just kind of snowballed and it's been extremely exciting. Uh, but really the reason we are running is because we are fighting for ourselves. We are fighting for the people around us, our community um, and, you know, our future. And that is something that, you know, most campaigns just don't do. And so that's our main focus. Our main focus is on people. It's on the people around us and making our own lives better. And so that is really why we are running. Yeah, you mentioned the fact that um, the, the, the representatives that you have right now aren't going to come out and help you. You kind of have to help yourself. And I think one of the more interesting things about your backstory is that, um, you know, like like a lot of progressives, you come from a conservative upbringing and you yourself were pretty conservative growing up in your younger youth. You're still young, but in your younger, younger youth, um, I guess. How how did that change come about? Can you walk us through that and like where you came to? realize that the politics of the Ted Yoho's and of the Tea Party and of and of the right um, maybe aren't the solution and, uh, you know, something that resembles the platform that you've landed on now that you're running on today uh, was actually something that you believed in. Yeah. Well, like you said, I grew up in an extremely conservative household. I mean, when I was growing up, I was taught a couple of things. Number one, 
that price fixing is bad. <laughs> Middlemen, not great. Monopoly is bad. Uh, free market can be good, but you need an actual free market. And honestly, none of those ideas ever changed. Uh, those are classically conservative ideas. But if you realize something, they are also literally the economic progressive ideas that all progressives are running on now. And so I literally didn't change. The verbiage changed. The words changed. And so when I realized that, number one, the Republican Party does not believe in any of those things anymore. Most, I mean, the corporate Democratic Party doesn't either, let's be honest. And so when I realized that nobody was going to actually fight against those things, it became very clear where I needed to go and, and you know where I actually was. And so for me, the biggest transitions for me uh, politically came after a couple of things. Uh, number one, after we turned away um, refugees four years ago that were coming on ships and were coming on other places, and we did not allow them to come into the United States, despite the fact that if we sent them back, they would probably be killed. Right. And the reason for that change was I realized that this was not the first time the United States had done that. We did it in 1943 or 1942, yep. where we did not accept boatloads of uh, Jewish refugees. Right. And instead they got sent back and eventually most of them were murdered in the Holocaust. And my response was, if we know what's going to happen, if we've seen this in history before, why are we not doing something about it? In fact, why are we purposefully putting people's lives in danger and not caring about actual people and not believing that people have value? That was a big shift for me. Another big shift that really got me off the sidelines, I, I'll, it, was, it was the Parkland shooting. When I realized that really you have a bunch of kids that just went through the worst thing they will ever go through their entire lives. And they realized in that moment that nobody was going to help them. Nobody was gonna stand up and fight for them so that this didn't happen to anyone else. And instead of them just backing down and being like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about it. They all stood up. They created a movement of young people and said, I've had enough. And we're going to force the change that we want to see. And effectively, they just took down the NRA. Like, let's be honest here. They not only exposed the fraud of the NRA, but they were able to effectively bring it down. Yeah, like a, a very corrosive force that was, that was, I mean, we already have this sort of vein of, um, like, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a left winger, I'm, I'm, sometimes very alone in my kind of support of the second amendment and, and support of, of gun ownership. But I'm also very skeptical. Like I think all of us are of gun culture of this fetishization of it. And that's really what the NRA was pushing was that sort of fetishization. And yeah, it was, it's a, a huge and hugely underplayed progressive victory that that happened. Uh, I mean, you know, growing, like I said, growing up and um, you know, I grew up in a Christian household and we were always told that you should not have idols. Well, effectively, guns have become the idol of a lot of people, and they have effectively just started worshiping the idea of having as many guns or whatever you want to do with your guns as possible, and that's just not feasible. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, really, it's, it's one of those things where I, I grew up believing that people matter and that what, the, what, what happens to the poor and the needy and the hungry and the sick that is a reflection on who we are as a society. And what I kind of realized was that you have a lot of people, especially Republicans, that they'll go to church on Sunday and they will say all the right things and talk about all the people that they love and they believe in and you know they're gonna help. And then every other day of the week, and especially when they go to vote, 
Yeah. They do not do that. They do the exact opposite. And so for me, it was a gradual shift, but also it was a shift really of sticking to my actual convictions and trying to live out the things that I believed. And that is really why I started. I mean, I'm, I honestly consider my positions to be moderate because if they happen, everyone yeah. will be able to own a home. Everybody will be able to start a family. Like we will have money left over. And that doesn't seem radical or crazy to me. Medicare for all is just removing insurance companies. Universal childcare has a return on investment over one, which means every dollar you put in, you're gonna get more back. Like all of these different things, high-speed rail, um, you know, actually increasing broadband internet access everywhere. These are all conservative ideas because it's an investment that allows businesses and expansion and people to actually, you know, make money, take their lives back. You don't get destroyed by the biggest companies in the world. These all sound like classically conservative ideas or the ideas that I grew up believing. But for some reason at this moment, they are considered left wing. They are considered radical. And I don't see that. I don't get it. And so right now, yeah, I am the most probably progressive candidate running in Florida. And yet the way we frame everything that we do is almost as <laughs> like we hit our opponent from the right more than we hit them from the left because we're running in a plus nine Republican district. And so I think when you can start to get crossover with those ideas, when you can actually start to speak in the language of the people who don't necessarily know that they agree with you, I think that is when it starts to get powerful. And that's when you start to see coalitions form you never would have before. Um, for instance, you got hardcore right-wing Republican small business owners and environmentalists that are standing up to fight Nestle in our district. Right, yeah, and we're gonna get to that too. We wanna talk about um, that environmental impact and, and how Nestle's basically looking to just siphon water and money directly out of uh, your prospective district. And um, But that's interesting that you, that, that you frame it that way because uh, if you look back on a long enough timeline, I always use the example of 50 years ago, the Republican Party or the conservatives generally were the uh, the environmental party right and that shifted it turned into this more pro-corporate agenda thing and it turned into uh, you know a, a a configuration where almost all the politics that are endorsed on the right today and it's funny because you, the, your current congress your current congressman ted yoho who we'll talk about in a second um was sort of on the vanguard of this with the with the tea party movement at the around 2012 when he first got into office um they've taken this like pro-corporate agenda and pro-profit agenda and aligned it culturally to a way in a way where in places like congressional district three people are now more i feel like and i mean it's everywhere so i don't want to just call out congressional district three it's down here in miami but people are more like sports fans they're more like i'm a fan of the republican party i culturally culturally align and identify with with them uh, I don't like you dirty libs, you know, and it, it's like, it's, it's divorced from the moorings of the, of the, of the issues, right? It's like, it's more, it's become sports almost. And I'm wondering, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, and your experiences on like who the people of Congres Congressional District 3 are and how you reach them and what that's been like and like what your philosophy is for trying to break through the like Lakers versus Celtics bullshit of, of partisanship and, and try to like get back to, to the root of those those issues. Yeah, I think honestly, our race has really become, it should be a, 
Oh, how do I? Play I'll say it? it. I'll say it. Your race should be. Uh, we're gonna get. Like I said before, we're gonna get to your opponent. But your race, in any vacuum of normal, like normality, would be a blowout right now. It wouldn't oh, even yeah. be one that we're having you on to talk about. And it's it's kind of. I, I would almost say a travesty, but that implies like surprise. And I'm, I'm not really that. We're not surprised with the way that things are these days. But it's crazy that 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 this race would would be this close. Anyway. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So what I was trying to say is that in reality, our race could basically be a case study of what partisanship is like, what it's like to actually like, not even care about policy or anything that has to do with rational human thought, but just emotion. And we knew this. And we also realized that because we were told two things, we were told you have to go moderate, you have to water down your policies, you can't scare Republicans. And my response to that was, I grew up in a Republican household. That is the dumbest thing you can possibly do because if you water down what you believe, nobody thinks you believe in anything, at which point they lose all respect for you. Yeah. They have more respect for you if you stick to your guns and fight for what you believe than if you just don't. Like that is always gonna happen. They won't, like you're not gonna get them to vote for you if you water down yourself. And so we had to come up with newer and better and different and creative ideas and ways to be able to actually reach people without watering down our policies. And so one of those ways, you mentioned sports, we had this idea. We had this idea that if in the red districts we wore red, people would talk to us. If we had red yard signs and giant, giant ass red signs, that they'd be like, oh. Oh, they gotta be big. Yeah, they gotta gotta be be big. big. And they have to have the American flag on them. They have to have stars and stripes. Like they have to look Republican. And so in the red districts, we started wearing either red shirts or black shirts. We effectively copied all of the marketing of the Republican who we're running against. And we copied most of the buzzwords and everything else, which we were using these before. Cause like I call Medicare for all a small business tax cut. I call Mm -hmm. universal childcare. Which it is. Tax cut. It is. Which they are. Yeah, exactly. But you wouldn't believe how upset like our opponents like team campaign team gets because they're like you can't use that that's ours and i'm like no it's not it's language and you've been stealing it from us for years you've been using stuff like death taxes <laughs> and other things like that that are just ridiculous and nobody death understands panels, what these yeah. words mean yeah but you can spin them and you can use the language that people think they understand in order to actually push whatever policies that you want. Uh, And so we have gone to two different Trump rallies now, and it has been the warmest reception we have gotten anywhere. Talk about that. Because we're wearing red shirts, holding red signs, and not treating people like they are horrible human beings. And for some reason, we have people that are smiling at us. Like I got the puppy out there. Like the little kids are running up there and they're Donald Trump hats and they're just playing with the puppy and like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. And like, I've got tea party people and tea push people who are yelling at us like, keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting. We love you. We're voting for you. We're going to remember your name. And we're sitting there going, we have not changed anything besides the color of our shirt. <laughs> and yet reason that allows people to talk to us that gets the conversation going and when you actually have those conversations people are willing to listen to you and talk to you and actually understand what you're saying it is like sports if you wear the wrong color jersey in the wrong place it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe you are automatically evil there's there there's a tendency on the left and i'll blame not just you know corporate democrats 
Democrats who we who we um, bust on on the show a lot, but uh, on the left and in, in more progressive circles and you know DSA rooms and and you know various progressive groups around around all over the place, there is a a tendency towards this type of purity or this type of like we're right. And if you just look at the pure facts of everything, if you look at the way that our plan on a page is, we shouldn't have to um, you know. Uh, present ourselves any differently because our ideas are the ones that are right and we're going to bowl you over with the, with with how right we are and that just no. never happens it just you can just it's it's this very like sorkin-esque like like a west wing version of reality where you just catch somebody in a in a contradiction and they change their mind and that literally never happens in real it life. will never happen and the reason is this Right now, what most people don't understand is that the best products almost never win in a market. It is the ones that have the best marketing. I've been saying this since MySpace. MySpace oh, was so much better than Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it had the best distribution, right? Facebook mm -hmm. had the best distribution, which is why it killed MySpace. Like conservative ideas have never been the best typically. They don't typically have the best policy points. They don't typically help the most amount of people. And they're typically not the, you know, financially good options, but they have the best distribution, the best marketing, the best buzzwords, and they get people excited about them, despite the fact that those policies might actually even hurt them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so until you play that game, you're never going to win. I don't, it doesn't matter what your policy is. If you do not win races, if you do not convince people to agree with you and back you and come behind you, you will never change a thing. And that is the most upsetting thing that I have uh, really seen from the left and Democrats for years is you have the best policies, great. But if you cannot convince people that they are worth it, that it will affect their lives, that it matters, that they need it, that they want it, if you don't hit that base emotion, it's not gonna happen and you're gonna lose just like you have for 40 years. Yep. And so for me, we can't keep doing that. It will, it is, has already been the death of the Democratic Party. It is the reason that the Democratic Party has become this corporate wing. It has been bought out by these lobbyists and these donors and these people. And until you actually focus it back on the emotion, on people, on what the original intent of the Democratic Party was, which is to make sure that no one is too poor to live, you will keep losing. I'm wondering how your um how your campaign is uh resonating now that it's picked up steam now that it's doing well it's gone for when I started following you on Twitter you I think had like maybe eleven or twelve thousand followers and now you've tripled that and you you know you're getting a lot of attention uh, I'm wondering how it's been received by like the state party and other like more um uh who <laughs> yeah that's what I hear from a lot of people. Uh, talk about that. I mean, are, are, are you getting well, any kind of support or anything like from, from the state of national? Yeah, there is literally nothing to talk about. I mean, the only time I've talked to pretty much anybody in the state party was after I won the primary, despite the fact that every single one of them thought we were going to get crushed and they mm -hmm. thought we had no chance. And they told people we had no shot in hell of being able to win. And then I get called and it's like, oh, this is great. Hey, congratulations. I'm sitting there going, hey. I don't want a congratulations. You want to know what I want? I want you to give data to my house List. candidates like I've been requesting yep. for a month and a half and still hasn't happened. And until you get me that, I don't want to hear from you. 
Yeah. And that is literally the reaction that I gave the head of the Democratic Party, because until they stop just giving us lip service and they actually start doing things for us, there is no reason for us to affiliate. If they have not, they have not raised us a cent in this race. They wrote off this race years ago and refused to even look at it. And we brought it back. A bunch of college kids brought this race from a plus nine impossible district where I was told if I don't have $3 million, I shouldn't even run because it's pointless to a place where now Donald Trump is coming here three times to prop up a failed candidate who has ridiculous issues. But if we had not run and we had not found them, this race would have already been over. And so that, that's how I see it right now is they gave us no shot in hell. Nobody did. And if we pull this off with the youngest democratic nominee in the country and a team under the age of 23 who came back as an impossible underdog and we flip this district in a plus nine after Ted Yoho verbally assaults AOC, that is freaking historic. And we did it without any of their help out of, out of the mainstream. And the way that we did it was we actually did it with people that had been marginalized in the Democratic Party, people that had been pushed to the side, the left-wing blogosphere. We did it with, with people like Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson, who actually believed in what we were saying enough to get behind us. Yeah, two great that, endorsements of the campaign. Yeah. yeah. And so those, it's, it was about the ideas and what we were fighting for and the fact that we were not willing to back down no matter what that people resonated with because they actually believed that we were going to fight for them. And that's also why we've almost raised $200,000 and our average contribution is 21 bucks. Like we've had over 8,000 people give us money, like individuals give us money. That has never happened in this part of the country. Right. And yet it was people who have never done politics before who just believed that if they did things the right way, it could actually happen. And it did. And that is special. And so I've really enjoyed this. We got like, what, 11 days left? But oh my goodness, we have accomplished something here that nobody ever thought that we would. And if we win this thing, whew. It's a case study. And it's, it's, it's probably the most impressive one since 2018 when, you know, uh, somebody from my old district that I was raised in in, in, in New York City won her uh her her general well she winning the primary was really the, the key for her but it would be one of those like touchstone moments it would be especially in florida where it's just so unlikely and our our state party has sort of become experts at finding different and new and inventive strategies to wave white flags and come up with reasons that they can't compete and invent reasons that oh democrats won't win here we're not going to Put resources here we're not going to you know focus on these races this person's too young this person's too progressive this person uh is not going to appeal broadly enough to the suburban republicans that for some reason our state party wants to go after um i will give you a hint though uh there's a good strategy you could lay out which is just you know it's cardstock you find like the fanciest wedding invitations you can find uh say that you're holding a gala or a ball or something like that Send it mm -hmm. to all the leaders and just, you know, have an address for like a warehouse in Alashua County or something like that. And just lock them in until they write a check. I mean, that's probably because they'll show up to galas and balls and things like that. That's there. That's I think kind of the purpose of the state party is to show up at, at um, you know, high price. Yeah, exactly. That's that's yeah. what they're great at. They're really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to you mentioned Ted Yoho, who is your congressman right now. Um, 
he's one of these guys that kind of migrated really deftly from Tea Party guy to MAGA guy. And I think people probably know him best for cornering and accosting uh, AOC in the Capitol earlier this summer, I think it was, and calling her, quote, a fucking bitch. And um, he's not running for re-election, which is funny. I'd be interested to know what's going on there because I feel like he's a guy that could have probably kept a lock on that seat for a little while. But I I have a feeling there's probably other stuff going on. Um, Tell us about his eight-year record in Congress because I think that that'll give us some some yeah. some context about like what politics is like where you're trying to you know where you're trying to run yeah so when he first won he actually came as the underdog like the grassroots like it was amazing that he did it and it was actually when our district was about twice the size that it is now and it had a lot of locations in it that how do i put this the man who was running against him on the democratic ticket is named jr He has been working with our campaign now uh, for a little while. And for him to go into those areas, he had to have five or six bodyguards. A lot of the time, just the sheriff's department had to send almost their entire sheriff's department so that he could actually go speak and not be in danger. He is a large black Haitian man. Hmm. And it was not a good area or location for someone who looks like he does and speaks the amount of languages that he does to go to. And then it got effectively. And that's because and uh, that's another important piece of context is pre-2010, Congressional District 3 was different ge- geographically. Very and it was a it was a majority black district for a very long time, yeah. which it's not anymore. And then it got it got redistricted um, effectively. It got redistricted when Tandioho was going to run. Right. And so he got to run in this district. Uh, and then two years later or two or four years later, it was so badly gerrymandered that they had to completely change it because they couldn't get away with it anymore. And so he actually won uh, on this Tea Party kind of Tea Party wave support uh, going into his election. And he effectively, while in Congress, has voted for the biggest companies in the world almost a hundred percent of the time. He has voted to raise middle-class taxes like 92% of the time. Uh, He voted against making lynching a federal crime. He thought the Civil Rights Act was unconstitutional. Like he voted against the ERA, Survivor's Bill of Rights, like all of these other things he voted against. And so he's a horrible human being. Like yeah. he's a terrible Absolutely person. Absolutely reprehensible. One of the worst members of Congress. And yes. Like, yeah. But he did it quietly. Mm. And he did it in a way that he didn't rock the boat. Yeah, he was a, then, a low-key Matt Gates, A very like yes. not on TV Matt Gates. Exactly. And for years he got away with it. And then he decides he's going to call AOC disgusting and to call her an effing B word and like go after her. And everyone saw him for who he actually was. It was no longer hidden. And also for who his staff was, who refused to say anything. Because the person running to take his spot is the person running against me now. And guess what she did? She went on Fox News to, number one, say he never said it. Mm -hmm. Number two, to say, well, it's both sides. I mean, really, it's not that bad. Both sides do this. And then basically to sell her soul so that she could just get a spot in Congress. And for a lot of people, especially women in our district, that is reprehensible because it's one thing, you know, to verbally assault someone or to watch your boss verbally assault someone, but to not even say anything about it, to not even say it was wrong, to not even like be, you know, just upset about it, but to 
just put that aside and defend him because you need his backers, you need his political power. That's disgusting. Well, I think you're being a little tough, Adam, because it's really hard to hold that kind of animosity towards somebody who had their house stolen from them by Barack Obama. So <laughs> I want to, I, 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 you're talking about your opponent, Kat, Kat yeah. Kamek. And oh, we're going to get into this. I want to transition <laughs> into this because her backstory is incredible. Um, now, if all Honestly, you, it is incredible. Like, yeah, the story it's literally, it, by the definition of the word, like not credible. If... <laughs> If you if all you know about her is her campaign ads, um, well, buddy, let me tell you, there's a whole lot going on there. And I don't think I can tell this story any better than you can. Um, so Kat Kamek, as you mentioned, I believe she was chief of staff for Ted Yoho for a very long time. I think she might still have that position for all I know. I'm not I'm not sure. But um, she's running against you. Um, she's a Republican. She's in the sort of Fox News uh, MAGA Trump mold. Uh, as you mentioned, Donald Trump has for this one congressional race made numerous trips to to support her um tell us a little bit about your opponent uh and what you in your oppositional research were, were able to um you know uncover. yeah uh he's coming again today by the way donald oh, trump have fun. This, this he was here the other day and, and our traffic was a disaster so <laughs> enjoy that he is coming now for a third time um because how do i put this their internal polls at this moment are atrocious especially in this location. And they know that if we flip this district, it's over in Florida, like yeah. it's game over. Um, so what we were able to find is number one, here is her story. Her story is that she grew up in Colorado on a cattle ranch. Uh, she actually was bankrupted by Obama and they lost their cattle ranch and they became homeless because of it, because they were evicted from it. Um, and, you know, she was able to work her way out of being evicted, being homeless and, you know, become the chief of staff for a congressional official, Ted Yoho in Washington, DC. Uh, and then she decided she was gonna run for Congress eight years later and you know, use the experience that she had in Washington in order to do this because you know what, she knows how to do it. She has the experience, she's been there. And on top of that, she was able to graduate from the Naval War College and like she has that experience as well. Uh, and so you know what, you should vote for her. And so I'm sitting there going, number one, this is an incredible story. Like if this is real, like, oh my God, like I would vote for you. Like, this is, this is great. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, you know what? You had a cattle ranch. Like my, my family, you know, has a farm out in Iowa and uh, you know, they have like, they used to have 5,000 head of cattle before Nixon screwed them over and like caused that whole thing to go down. So, you know what, let's, let's look into this because like, I, I'm, I'm somebody who like, when I hear a story, I want to know if it's actually true. Like I want to know actually about it. Like I want to see what the real thing is because typically there's a lot of marketing and BS that goes into congressional campaigns. So, you know, if you're saying these things and they sound so great, okay, well, let's make sure they are. There was just one problem. We couldn't find the cattle ranch. The very simplest basic thing, we couldn't do it. We tried for like weeks, we tried. And then finally we just sent it out to the internet and we're like, we can't find this, go find it for us. See if you can find the cattle ranch and like literally tweet using the hashtag, hashtag where's the cattle ranch. Where's this cattle ranch? <laughs> Where is it? I don't know, I need to find it. I wanna find it, I can't find it. Um, and so yeah, basically they spent a couple days and they could not find it but they found so much more. And it was actually incredible because the more we dug, the more things we found, and it's like a never ending pile of just 
Well, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> eventually, eventually some guy, some Republican guy who was like trying to troll us, like it was like, I found this with two minutes of Googling. How did you not find this? And like sent us this, this property record. It was for like 33 acres. It was out in the country. Um, and I was like, well, oh, that's interesting. Well, it's not big enough to be a cattle yeah, ranch. 33 acres, that's like good to have like a couple pets, like like three or four cows of, as pets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? That's interesting. Like, I wonder what this actually is because it's, it's obviously not a cattle ranch and there's no buildings on the property. Uh -huh. So like, what is it? And so we started to look into it. And what we quickly realized was that effectively her mom had uh, bought this piece of land and eventually they took out seven different loans on this piece of land were $350,000 in debt. And oh, by the way, they still had an apartment and a house in like Denver. And so they were basically using this piece of land to finance the rest of their life by taking out loans that they could then spend elsewhere. Right. Now, the thing that actually did them in, it was not Obama. That was the most incredible claim. I was like, okay, well, if this cattle ranch isn't actually a cattle ranch and when it was bought by DirecTV, it had no buildings and like no barn and there's nothing there. Well, I wonder if Obama actually bankrupted them. And so when we found the loans, we're like, okay, it looks like, you know, they were just bad financially. Like they didn't know what they were doing. And then some people on the internet found out that she had gone on a 108 day cruise across the world and it probably cost about 30 grand. Wow. And that was the reason they could no longer keep paying the interest rates on their piece of land. And they had literally only paid off about $500 of the principal in like five years. So financially they were in bad straits and she goes on a $30,000 108 day cruise. Well, at that point, you know, they actually, they do lose the piece of land. But the problem was, Kat didn't live there. She was actually just graduating from college. And so her transition from college was that she had to go live in a $800 like hotel slash apartment kind of thing for like two months. And this was so bad for her that she called it quote, a crack house. It is more than my apartment costs right now. Now, this is a little crazy to me because I'm like, okay, this is before you even got into politics. Like this is before anything like, you know, like this is just you making up stuff about like, you just made up being homeless. You just made up Obama bankrupting you. Like you made up where you lived. Right. What else are you making up? So then we started to look into like when she actually got into politics. So she was the chief of staff for Ted Yoho at the age of 24 and she was making over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, then something happened some sort of incident, which at this point, I think everybody knows what that incident was. But the aftermath of this incident was that Ted Yoho fired her as chief of staff. Mm -hmm. He didn't get rid of her. He kept her as a deputy chief of staff and shipped her back to Gainesville, Florida. At the same time, he purged his entire office of anybody who would know anything about what had happened. And he started to pay her as a consultant and while he was on her normal payroll and also her husband's lawn mowing company. And so she was making $150,000 or so. She was making almost $40,000 more after being fired yeah. than she was before. She and was in the, she was in the not being in politics, politics business, like keeping you off to no, the she side. Was still, she was literally still on his staff. Right. Yeah. I mean, but just quietly 
shoveled over to the side. <laughs> shuffled over the side and started to receive more money. And on top of that, she was a civilian. She had no military background. Mm. And yet, for some reason, Ted Yoho got her a letter of recommendation in order to get into the Naval War College, which was an online college, and she got a master's from there. Then, last year, Ted Yoho announces he's going to retire. And the reason he's going to retire is that he's going to fulfill a campaign pledge promise that he made eight years ago when he had one staff member on his campaign who was Kat Kamek, and he was going to retire fulfilling this campaign pledge promise. So like the only funny thing is that he refused to endorse her and his son came out and said that basically she had been fired because her ambition was bigger than her integrity. Direct quote. And then Ted Yoho puts out a Facebook post that basically says that Kat Kamek was removed from his office, but it was not so she could go work on his reelection campaign, which is what she was telling all of his friends and donors. And so basically he comes out and goes, yeah, I fired her. I won't tell you why, but it was not the reason she is saying. Basically at that point, everyone was just like, this is the strangest thing that has ever happened. It makes no sense. Right. But three days after he announces he's going to retire, she comes out and says she has already raised $100,000. She has a 120-person steering committee for her campaign. And then she goes ahead and actually wins, like the primary. Now, this doesn't make any sense because typically when somebody you know, is fired, they don't start making more money. Uh, if you refuse to endorse them, you don't do them favors. Right. And so it kind of comes back to this idea of, okay, well, what was that incident? And what in the world does she have on him that would make him act this way? And so at this point, I think most people have kind of put it together. Uh, but there are, it appears, ethics complaints that have been filed about these incidents. And so this is kind of where we're at, where, you know, no matter what, she is not going to have a political career after this point. She needs to get a good lawyer. Uh, probably because like, she's not going to have a career in politics after this. Like, there's just no way. Um, it's too embarrassing. So partially the reason that we are so close is because of that. And then the other part is just her campaign has no substance. It has really no policies, like no vision, nothing. It is effectively how much money can I make from as many people as I possibly can by lying to them about my backstory and who I am and creating this fake brand that I am the AOC of the right. Right. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that because one thing that she did have is uh, Senator Rand Paul in her corner. <laughs> um, after, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe you can walk us through this because I feel like, look, I've seen enough works in my, in my, in my, in my uh, time following politics and, and doing this show and being a reporter. I've seen enough things that are stitch ups and, and works and, and, and jobs to tell when something doesn't really hold up. But um, upon a lot of these, uh, for context, I guess, like upon a lot of these dominoes falling and a lot of this information coming out about her, um, a ragtag group of, of uh, I guess, your supporters showed up at her house. Uh, why don't you talk us through like what happened uh, at the end of her, I don't know, 500 yard um, uh, driveway that her first responder husband was was exiting the house from, I guess, last oh, week. Oh, my God. So <laughs> basically, um, their campaign never saw us coming. And we put them on their heels and then we kept driving. And so they've been playing defense now for a good month. 
to a point where they have had nothing. They've had no time to like sleep. Like they've had no time to like try to come up with anything. And so then they got hit with a piece of news um, that just like absolutely derailed their entire campaign. And they basically tried to flail. It was like a last dying gasp of we need attention. We're in trouble. We have to try to get back. And so they decided that they were going to fake an Antifa attack at her personal residence. <laughs> right in the heart of Marion County. You know how the Antifa is out there. Like it's not oh, no, it's in Gainesville. Literally in Gainesville. It's in Gainesville. And so literally it's a video. The Antifa Gainesville chapter is, you know, they're not big, but they got a lot of spirit. <laughs> they they, got a they lot of are spirit. loud. And so basically <laughs> she puts out this video and it is, <laughs> it's her really husband funny. driving down this very long driveway with his iPhone out, like recording where he's going. And like, it's very dark because it's like seven in the morning and like pulling out onto the main road. And there's like a couple people holding signs. And her captions on this whole thing is like, the radical left, Green New Deal Antifa socialists, they're coming for us. And this is intimidation. And isn't this terrible? And why won't my opponent condone, like, condemn this from happening? Yeah. Literally, Seriously, Adam, you should there. condemn that. I am sitting there. <laughs> Like filming a, a, like a, a like a little TV ad. Like I'm sitting there filming a little TV ad, and I see this video pop up on Twitter, and I watch it, and I get to the end, and I lose it because I am cry. I was dying, and basically I pulled out my phone and just recorded myself laughing for like 15 <laughs> seconds, and like posted it on top of it. And I was just like, "This is the most incredible thing I have. Ever. I can't believe an actual human being." came up with this and thought it was a good idea but this is not the only time they've done something so desperate and stupid like their first tv ad was literally called chicken shit i don't know what political consultant actually i do know what political consultant like came <laughs> up with that because they're all mad at me now because they are coming after me on social media because i've made so much fun of them for being so bad at their jobs but literally their first tv ad was called chicken shit they made up a fake Antifa attack rally, whatever you want to call it, of like five people holding Green New Deal signs. Uh, and then basically they got a sitting United States senator to weigh in on this because they got so embarrassed because everyone just made fun of them. Like they had 60 likes at one point and 400 comments, all just ridiculing them for being Great so ratio. Dumb. Very strong ratio. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was incredible. It was honestly, it's got to be the most desperate, wonderful thing I've ever seen. But I will tell you this, this is the most sad part about it. It got more news coverage, local news coverage, than the fact that she tricked people out of $500,000 of donations by lying about being homeless. Right. Uh, it has gotten more coverage than any of the things that she has done to lie to people about her campaign or any of the things she did in Ted Yoho's office. And so literally the news comes to interview me about this crazy Antifa attack. And it's mm -hmm. literally her on like 30 second segment being like, this is the radical left and this is what they're doing to destroy America. And she's like very serious and like very focused. And then it, and then it goes to me. And I am sitting in one of uh, our team members' houses, and it's literally me just laughing 
just being like, are you like, are you all kidding? This is not news. This is which is the, which is the re response that it deserves. Honestly, exactly. like, yeah. <laughs> but then what happened was you, she got even more desperate and she decided she was going to pay right wing, like pay to play media outlets like Gateway Pundit and all these other people to yeah. come after me and claim that I was leading a democratic street gang and yeah. coming after people. And I was just like, honestly, this makes me look like a badass. And like, yeah. you cannot pay for this kind of publicity because I weigh 130 pounds. And <laughs> if I am leading an Antifa Democratic street gang, like that makes me look good. And it l makes me look like I like, you know, cause I got like, I'm, I'm gonna go fight. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna throw some hands, like this is happening. Like I was just sitting there going, y'all don't leading, even know. Leading, <laughs> leading, leading a group, leading uh, the newsies on the streets of Ocala or something. <laughs> I literally wanted to post a gif of like West Side Story with me just going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's 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 funny because like I, I was I, I was reading that that came up on my radar when it was happening and it was hilarious. It was like um, pathetic and sad. And I think that that um, you know the way that on it, it, on the left we sort of have this very clear distinction between ourselves and the more like establishment side of the democratic party and then some of us who are on the left and don't even consider ourselves part of the democratic party right and we have these real clear they blur sometimes but we have these real clear lines i think on on the right they see all democrats as you know just as 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 naive as the people that fell for the brooks brothers riots in miami in 2000 that like they think that those tricks will just keep working and that maybe you know like i would contrast your campaign with like a campaign like my my congresswoman donna shalala who frankly if somebody pulled that on her she'd probably fall into the trap and it would probably work yep. um because she's that kind of establishment democrat been around for 100 years doing the same things and operating by the same rules here's and the exact I response think, here's the exact response yeah. that your congresswoman would have given now, while they have every right to protest and the First Amendment is constitutionally protected, we definitely should not be out there disturbing people's rest at seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning because that is just not civil. Yeah. And my and response then... is, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great. And I, I just wish that there was more... I guess situational awareness because it's exactly the kind of trap that that yeah. the party and its sort of forebears all fall into so frequently as being asked to disavow things or to condemn things that have it's no, so dumb that are it's first of all so completely dumb. bad faith yeah and fake and then on top of that you shouldn't even have to disavow that that no. wasn't I mean, like it, it, it's common sense <laughs> It's just like, my God, like, I, yeah. And honestly, we, like we had some people there, like, we need to come out with a statement and like, we need to take this serious. I'm like, no, you take it seriously. Other people will take it seriously. It's a yeah. joke. Her campaign is a joke. And this is a sad, desperate gasp for like attention. And you treat it like that and you show it for what it is. Because as soon as you give ground to these people, they take a mile. Yeah. Like if I had taken this seriously and like, you know, she leaked my personal cell and my business address and where I coach soccer for a high school just because she was so pissed off and she was out of every idea. And she did it eight years ago 
to the guy who ran that I mentioned earlier, yeah. JR. This is not new. Everybody says like, there's that famous quote that there's nothing over under the sun. Well, the thing is with especially politicians and especially people that run in politics, they have the same tricks. They have nothing yeah. else and they just recycle them over and over again. And these right-wing consultants, they have nothing. They have the same things that have worked for years and they just keep recycling. Like it literally took them, I kid you not, a month and a half to come up with this Antifa attack as their last best thing to get people to vote for them the day before early voting. And all it did was make her into a joke because we didn't treat it as serious because it's not. Do yeah. not take these people seriously. Like that is the biggest thing that Democrats have done for years is they have allowed people to take the most ridiculous, stupid situations and make them appear as though we should care. And we shouldn't. It's a 24-hour news cycle entertainment clickbait junk. It affects none of our lives. And when you take it seriously or when you give them ground, people start to think, oh, well, maybe, maybe, he, sh maybe he did something bad there. Maybe he didn't do everything he should have. Maybe he should have disavowed the people standing outside on a public road holding signs. Why didn't he yeah. do that? Yeah. And if, if, if you... Um... Look, if you were somebody who, you know, everybody, all of our listeners know that we were we were strongly uh, in the Bernie column all through the last couple, the last four years or last three years. And that we, you know, w one of the things that I loved about the campaign was their refusal to acquiesce in that way to say like, oh, yes, this is our fault. Let us modulate our messaging yeah. and try to, you know, thread the needle exactly the way that you, our opponents, want us to modulate our messaging and and and. Uh, and, and finesse it in just the right way so that, you know, yeah, we take the teeth out of the meat of the message. You're playing you know? defense there. Yeah. yeah. Like, yep. stop playing defense. Right. If you are always responding to what the other side is doing, you have done something wrong. Like, I coach soccer. Like, I love coaching soccer. And if we played to other people's game plans at all times, we would always lose. And guess what? Democrats always lose. They yeah. do. They don't want to admit that they always lose, but they always lose. And it's because they play to other people's game plans. They don't have their own things going on in the background. They don't set traps that people can fall into. Yeah. They don't push people to the point where mentally they just can't handle it anymore. Like on the other side, like when you push people and when you constantly are on the attack and constantly hitting them with something over and over again, and it needs to be new, like it needs to be exciting. It needs to be entertaining. When you do that, they make mistakes. When you throw jabs, when boxers throw jabs, they are constantly throwing jabs. Why? Because they want the other side to try to do a haymaker at the wrong moment so they can end the match. That's what it is. You need death blows. But the reason that you get death blows is because you are on the attack and you are not afraid to make the other person have to try to react to you. I would just love to see the internal meeting they had where it was like, all of the other bad ideas on the whiteboard were crossed out and the 110 consultants were there and like one guy pipes up and there's like one idea at the bottom and he's like hey Antifa come on what about my fake antifa rally idea it's come on guys one. it's it's the last thing we got left let's try it <laughs> it can't it can't hurt somebody call Rand paul <laughs> oh my god the Rand paul thing cracks me up and i just like it's well that's because that's his hobby horse right the whole like um yeah. The idea that 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 free speech is being stifled by the left and that, you know, that that, uh, you know, you can't have intellectual freedom to be on the right anymore. Like I, if, if anybody was going to be um, a sort of unwitting partner 
or a witless partner, I guess, as it were, to, uh, with with her on that um, no, it just fun turns little out campaign. People, I would guess it would be him. Like it just turns out. Well, number one, he's been his her main backer. Like his pack, his super, like all of his packs and stuff have given her a ridiculous amount of money. And number two, the people he has on his team are morons. Yeah. So I would not be Terrible surprised stuff. if it was completely unwitting and they just didn't even fact check what was happening and they took her out of her word. And then they just got embarrassed. Like yeah. literally just got embarrassed. Like I don't understand how some of these paid political consultants still have jobs. It's yeah. embarrassing. Well, you say not to take them seriously, and I agree with you. But uh, there is an issue happening in your um, in your district that people should take seriously because it is it involves uh, one of these situations when um, an enormous multinational corporation sets its eyes on the national re natural resources of um, of of a place, right, and uh, decide that they want it, and very often that ends up. Um, coming to fruition and in this country lately it, it, it comes to fruition in favor of the of the the company can you tell us about what's going on in the town of high springs and uh and and what nestle is trying to do there because i know that this is something that's been on your radar lately too yeah um so basically what is happening is nestle has realized that there was originally there was a small family-owned company uh who had a license from the county commission to be able to bottle water to take some water out, extract it from the Santa Fe River. And they were doing it for $127 per year, basically to bottle as much, pretty much as they wanted. Um, and they didn't because, you know, they're a small family owned business and it's just, you know, there's no reason for them to. Well, Nestle realized that they would never be able to get as much water as they wanted for that cheap unless they went and bought that small company. And so what they decided to do is they were going to buy that small company and take that license and then bottle as much water as they possibly could out of the Santa Fe River, bottle it and sell it right back to everybody who lives here. And the city commission kind of stood up and was like, yeah, no, we're not going to, I don't think that's a good idea because like when you take water out of the Santa Fe River, then our springs are gone, at which point our tourism is gone, at which point our family owned businesses and small businesses here in High Springs, you know, they dry up, literally. And so that kind of got stopped by a bunch of Republicans and a bunch of environmentalists. And then, and then Nestle realized, huh, well, actually the owners of this private spring, they might let us bottle water out of there. And so they tried to go get Jenny Springs to allow them to start bottling water out of Jenny Springs, at which point, again, the town of High Springs lost it. And so right now there is a huge fight with Republicans an environmentalist going against Nestle, effectively a international company that is coming in to steal resources for, and pay nothing for it, essentially, and uh, basically uh, take money out of our community and destroy the town of High Springs. And um, I don't think that sounds like a very conservative idea. And in fact, it really feels like there's an existential threat coming in to really destroy a town in our community and nobody's having it. And so Nestle needs to get the hell out any company pretty much that is not here to actually benefit our community and is going to harm it or remove money or remove resources or you know not actually care or invest here and care about our people they should not be here i don't care who you are and so that's the mindset that a lot of people are starting to get where they realize that just because you have a couple new jobs does not mean that the overall benefits of a company being here are positive so if it's not positive they shouldn't be here yeah i bring it up because it's it's 
whether it's up there in sort of north central Florida or it's down here in, in South Florida near Lake Okeechobee and in Sugar Lands down here, like we have a difference in the type of environmental dangers that we're that we're facing and the way that we're preyed upon by, by corporations, but it's it's only in in the grays that it's different, right? And broadly, Florida has become this sort of target, right? Like a lot of a lot of blue states or a lot of states that have more protections or maybe I don't know, like a firmer constitution when it comes to this stuff, aren't as at risk. And um we don't get from Congress from our congressional delegation, I don't think we we don't get the kind of uh, strong advocacy, like for for environmental protection, that um, that we should, because uh, we are the most at risk state in the union right now for for all of these things. Here's here's I think one thing that uh, Democrats and especially environmentalists have done wrong. They have tied it to the fact that we should save the environment because we should save the environment. They haven't tied it to the fact that we should save the environment because if we don't, it will destroy us economically. Yep. Right. That's the economics of the situation. Yeah. One of those is going to bring Republicans into the fold who don't want to be poor. And the other is going to keep them on the sidelines and think, oh, well, that's not my issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's too often uh, just short term, single use. I think of towns in Mexico that have had from Coca-Cola and, and other, you know, bottling and, and beverage companies had their entire town sort of dried up, literally dried up, like you say. And, uh, and it's it's just for this short term single single use sort of disposable situation, and you add up enough of those situations, and you've got an entire region that's been sort of depleted of resources. Um, and you know we see it down here, and uh, you know it, it's good to know that hopefully we get some more people like like you, frankly, in 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 office to be able to um to to address those issues. So we talk about these races that are flippable. This is one where a close outcome would be a moral victory, but to hell with that, to hell with moral victories. We don't need moral victories. We need more actual victories. I might be a little naive, but I still think that there that when there's a clearly superior candidate, even if it's in a partisan district, that the voters are going to recognize that. So I'm going to ask everybody to go visit uh, for the many, not just for me.com. Give Adam's campaign yeah. some support. Or it's, uh, it's for the many, not just me.com. For the many, not just me.com. And uh, give Adam's campaign some support. Um, if you're up there and can get Congressional District 3, uh, be sure to give him your vote in between now and November 3rd. Adam, thanks for coming on Bird Road. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thanks, man.